right? So part two of chapter 11 was identifying the modern impediments and hindrances uh, to, to meditation. Now, I did order a new microphone, but uh, it did not order. It did not arrive like I said it was going to be. So I'll try to make sure that uh, I'm close to this microphone. So our modern day and modern age has produced many things, many temptations that assault us, that hinder us from putting the proper effort into um, biblical meditation. Um, keeping us from doing what is necessary for proper meditation. And some of those things are entertainments and gadgets. Now, this thing right here is one of those impediments. Because it always rings the wrong time. Or bonks at you when it's on the wrong time. Um, television. Television is an impediment. There's like hundreds and thousands of channels and like somebody said, nothing on. Um, satellite radio, the, 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 uh, the book mentioned that uh, you could drive from Florida, California and listen to the same channel the entire time. Um, I remember when I was a kid, um, we go through uh, some of the more rural areas of West Virginia and, and Pennsylvania and Maryland. We wouldn't have any radio stations, so we, we would sit there and we would do what we typically would do and, and you know, sing songs and and count the cow game and all that kind of thing. Um, and the internet. The internet allows us to uh, keep our minds so full of stuff um, that it's kind of hard to put anything else into it. Uh, Edmund Smith, who is a modern day historian and economist, he said this about our age. We of the electronic age have much trouble with prolonged thinking. Television discourages it. The average length of a shot on television is only 3.5 seconds, so that the eye never rests and always has something new it must see. Christians have allowed themselves to come under the spell of electronic images and spend many hours dazzled by them. Thus, even to read the Bible may prove difficult for many Christians nowadays, let alone the efforts required to contemplate, in a serious way, the meaning of the words. Well, we know that God calls his people to regular and undistracted consideration of his word and his spiritual truths. But we live in a world that is full of almost constant interruptions and distractions. To meditate, we must be able to concentrate on God's word, to fix our souls on it, as if it were. Um, because the unsettled mind cannot meditate. If the believer is to survive in a world of constant distractions, he must really think about what is important in his life, what is really important to his spiritual health, and to make some hard choices about what he's going to do with his time, what he's going to allow to take him away from doing what is important. He's got to be willing to part with anything that distracts his mind from quietly communion are quietly communing with the Lord. Um, God tells us in Hebrews 12, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what does that say about communing with the Lord? What does that say about biblical meditation? You kind of have to read into it. Let, it, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. That kind of tells us that all these things that are around us kind of vies with our time uh, for things that are necessary for our spiritual health. Um, and the sin that so easy ensnares us, that, that tells us right there. But we have to put those things aside um, to be able to be in a proper mindset, in a proper life, um, where that, where this biblical meditation is going to be good for us. Something neat that the uh, uh, the book said is that many Americans live a typical life that is caught up in the latest movies, sporting events, sitcoms, and YouTube videos. What I say is it's more the, the whole world, really. Um, maybe not the, the smaller parts in some remote island or something, but uh, if you'll find a phone anywhere nearby, you probably have a whole lot of interruptions. Um, I've seen many, many times where people just sit there and they'll just scroll through their envelope of this thing and they'll scroll through some more and then they look and they'll scroll through. They'll spend half an hour just scrolling through stuff and never really sitting down on one thing. Uh, Liz and I went to dinner the other night and there was this little teeny waiting room. It's a little, little Asian restaurant and it's really good food, but people are just standing there and instead of having a conversation with anybody, they're all just standing there. And, there was like six people with telephones out there, and even people, there weren't just six single people, there were, there were parties, and Liz and I were talking, these people were going, I don't understand that. But that's the way, that's the kind of world that we live in right now. Um, 2 Timothy 2, verse 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And we are in a battle. What does the book say? God's battle plan for the mind? We are in a battle. We are in a holy warfare with God's enemies who also should be our enemies. We are <clears throat> at war with Satan and his minions. Now think about this, what, what it says here. A soldier, when he enlists, should be thinking about and should be all about executing that warfare and if he doesn't, he's a, a worthless soldier. If he's thinking about what he left at home, he really can't be a good soldier. So we, as Christians, we have a great responsibility to please, please Christ, to, be, uh, to approve ourselves to him, for we are in a battle. So that was some of the distractions and entertainments of gadgets. <clears throat> Let's continue on. Another thing that keeps us from properly meditating on God's word is the influence of ungodly friends. And a lot of people think that they're unaffected by the culture in which they live in and that their thoughts are untainted by the world that they live in, that they are independent thinkers. And that would be a really, really good thing if that were true. 
But if we read, if we really read what the Holy Spirit tells us in the first psalm, the first words of that first psalm, we will see that we are in no way untainted by the world. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Can you all see what that, what that, that means there? And what that means with, with meditation? The blessed man cannot be godly in meditating while receiving competing counsel from the wicked. Now, I grew up in, in the church and I, kind of moved away from the church um, and had my time in the council of the ungodly. And I, I can tell you that you cannot focus on God's word if you keep having this other, this competing information into your head. Um, if we think about what Peter said on this, you know, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, he said, and this is from Acts 2, verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. If we are in a perverse generation, we are going to be hearing things that, that, that run counter to what God's word tells us. And we have to make sure that those things aren't clouding up our minds when we're trying to focus on God's word. So just as we need to be discerning about what we allow into our minds, we need to be discerning about the influence of unbelievers and ungodly company. And sometimes it's kind of hard to see what is ungodly company and what is godly company. Um, but I always say, look to the fruit. If the fruit of that company is not godly fruit, then we have to be uh, truthful with ourselves about spending time with ungodly company. Um, the next impediment is the failure to decisively separate from the world. Uh, Peter, you want to read 2 Corinthians for me? Thank you. So, very little in this world is neutral. And anything that hinders us from running that race that we just spoke about in Romans 12, um, 
and that includes with communion with God and meditating on his truths. That is part of the race, really. Um, anything that hinders us from doing that is actually wicked and something that we would we should remove ourselves very far from them. Um, there was a, a really neat quote in the book about odor, and uh, I want to read that to you. If a believer fails to separate from the world, eventually its odor will overtake his mind and soul, like the smell of rotten fish in a room full of flowers. He will find that he neither enjoys nor desires what takes place in meditation. That really is a, um, it's a, a meaningful quote. Uh, simply put, sharing the same goals and daily habits with the world will hinder our walk with the Lord. And even though we walk this earth, our hearts must be in heaven. Our thoughts must be focused on things eternal, because one day all of this is going to burn up and be no more. So letting excuses and hindrances stop us from properly meditating on God's truth is dangerous for our souls. So let us remember we are all in a battle and use all the tools that God has given us to do this. Any thoughts, any questions? It's been kind of quiet. But I hope y'all, um, you got something from this chapter. It was a, a, a pretty good chapter. Um, let's, um, Russell? That's true, and I, I, I like that that soldier, um, what's the word, reference. Okay, anything else? Meredith? Our, our natures are to go to the 
But again, if, if you look for that fruit, right. you, if you that person is telling you what you want to hear, but their fruit is is inconsistent with what they're saying, then you have to be careful right. about listening. And I, I just think, especially for our young folks, that that is a harder thing to sometimes hear than Pastor? I think the metaphor that the apostle uses in 2 Corinthians 6 is really helpful. The idea of being yoked in together with one another or with whomever you spend a significant amount of time with. Not just because if you're yoked in with someone who opposes Christ, like darkness opposes Christ, like uh, Belial opposes Christ. Uh, but the Lord has yoked us together in this life in which we walk with him with one another. And if you think about uh, you know, two, uh, two animals laboring together in a yoke, if one of the animals is pulling to the side instead of pulling forward, or just dragging its feet, standing still, trying to trying to catch a snack instead of pulling forward, uh, it makes it significantly more difficult for the other one. And I think we have a responsibility for one another uh, not to be distracted uh, by worldliness or competing priorities that get in the way of necessary things uh, and not to you know, slouch in our in our Christianity and our Christian walk where we're just kind of stagnant and complacent uh, because the Lord does mean for us by grace dependence upon him remember we're yoked in with Christ too and that's what makes the, the yoke easy and the burden light uh, but by grace, we, we all need to be pulling forward together. Uh, uh, otherwise, uh, even just by, <coughs> by going nowhere, uh, we're holding others uh, back and hurting them. Uh, and then, you know, to push the metaphor a little further, hopefully it doesn't break, you know, those who are more mature in the Lord, those who are stronger, those who have some momentum, uh, I think they're providentially the assignment uh, of pulling on those who are standing still that they get moving with us or with them uh, again. Uh, I really appreciated the, the apostles, really the spirits' use uh, of that metaphor. Uh, First and second Corinthians are really rich uh, 
with helpful teaching on what it means to be a congregation together. A lot of congregational life stuff uh, in those two, two letters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I probably didn't pull enough out of the Second Corinthians, but a lot of people use the Second Corinthians and oh, you shouldn't be married with unbelievers. Being yoked is a lot more than just being married. There, there are so many different levels of being yoked, and, and marriage is one, but then what the pastor's saying is just being, you know, alongside of each other, doing what we you know, daily do, um, and we shouldn't be yoked with people who are going to be pulling us away from, from Christ and his truths. Anything else? Okay, let's let's pray. Glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your use, your providential use of this book and, and teaching us about you, about uh, our position and our place and um, what you have given us to help us in our, our walk, in our daily lives. Uh, you have given us your word, your truths. You have given us meditation, so many things, Lord, that you have given us uh, to help us and to, um, to further us in our walk. Um, to make us more and more like Christ. Help us, Lord, to use these things that uh, you might be glorified in our lives. Uh, and Lord, we do thank you for this, uh, this time in, in the morning to study not only your word, but to how your word affects our lives. Lord, as we uh, move from this room to the chapel, we pray you would uh, help us to uh, focus our minds and our hearts on, on you and your worship knowing your truths, your word. Help us, Lord, uh, to spend this day uh, keeping it holy, keeping it for you. First in Christ's name we pray. Amen.